Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. It's Wednesday. It's October. It's the 18th day of the month. And this is episode 214 of the All Sooners Podcast. Glad you guys are with us. That's Ryan Chapman. He's at the studios in Oklahoma City. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Also the studios. Uh, Randall's going to join us from Parts Unknown for segment three later on. Talk about a little recruiting. Ryan. Brent Venable's press conference yesterday was uh, kind of muted, kind of not a ton of like breaking news, not a ton of like hard opinions. There were a couple of a uh, couple of laugh out loud moments, but um, for the most part, we got some I don't know some injury news yesterday. Is that uh, th- I mean they're playing Central Florida this week, eleven a.m. ABC national television. Dusty Dvorak in the booth. It's just not a big vibe right now coming down from that Texas win, I think. Yeah, and I think that um, we've kind of seen this with those of you fans that interact with us and, and things like that. But I, you know how Brent Middle start off that Texas press conference? It's, it's an opponent you guys are going to ask about. There's a couple of angles to ask about for UCF as far as their rushing attack. But like defensively, the Knights are terrible, especially against the run. Um, everyone's been able to run all over them. That's not really something that kind of gets asked of a head coach because you're putting him in a weird spot to be like, yeah, our opponent this week sucks. Or he has to like build up an opponent that everyone knows defensively is not any good. Uh, again, UCS in the bottom 30 and rushing defense, stuff like that. So I think the biggest thing to kind of come out of it is injury news. And as far as some of the big stuff, John, we talked about it last, like Andrew Anthony out for the season. We knew that last week. I think everyone's in wait and see mode to see how that gets replaced. And, and otherwise, for the most part, it was good news about guys being back. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's knock that out, Ryan. Let's talk about the guys that are back or supposed to be back. Uh, at corner, everybody's back. Macari Vickers is back. Josiah Wagner's back. Uh, Gentry Williams is A-OK. Not that there was ever anything wrong, but uh, – and then uh, – what? Kanai Walker also back. Kanai Walker, who missed the last game. Kanai Walker. That's two games. Was it two games? Wow. Yeah. So that'd be good to have him back, especially with a, uh, he, he's a guy, um, he kind of upgrades the athleticism and size of the, you know, length when you're talking about batting, batting down balls or coming up and supporting the run. He's a guy that does, uh, brings some value to this cornerback room. I think Kanai Walker does, especially when you're talking about the number three rushing attack in the country and an experienced quarterback in John Rice Plumlee. Yeah, and two, keep in mind, though not new news, Brent Venables told us two Mondays ago, um, the bye week Monday, that Gentry was back in practice. But Gentry Williams has not played a full game yet this year. He He's had little stuff that yeah. hasn't kept him out long term. But um, you saw Key Lawrence had to finish the Texas game at corner, which I don't think would be a bad thing against UCF. But I, I think that you're to the point in the season that if Oklahoma – really wants to dial in and hone in on the getting the most out of their defense in year two. I think that that starts with keeping your safeties at safety, keeping your corners at corner, letting Desan McCullough and Kendall Dolby be your cheetah guys that are thrown out there. And Kendall Dolby was talked about a little bit. And so um, regardless, you want to have Kenai Walker, who has a, a guy that it looked like the light bulb turned on a little bit as far as a, a depth piece for Oklahoma. So, yeah, you, you absolutely want that and want that depth because, I shoot, going all the way back to – I was reading through some of the postgame quotes for Arkansas State yesterday, 
And something that was circled and highlighted in the Arkansas State post game was Brent Venables is like, corner is really the only spot on the field that we haven't been able to buy some health at quite yet. And so coming off this bye week, maybe it's a chance to reset because it's a group that still leads the country in interceptions per game, stuff like that. Um, you just want them to be firing on all cylinders to try to avoid the banana peel these last six games. Yeah, listen, Key Lawrence at corner to finish that Texas game, not ideal. You'd rather, like you said, have your safeties playing safety and your corners playing corner. But him with the ability to do that and the experience to do that, he's back there playing safety all day in that thing, which is crazy, OU Texas. He's playing safety all day, and he's been playing safety for the last two years. Key, can you roll up and play corner? Sure, coach. Game's on the line. We got to stop them in this two-minute drive. Can you roll up and play corner? Of course. I don't want to, but I'll do it. (laughs) You know, I don't know if he said I don't want to. I'm sure he didn't. But that just goes to show, um, you know, I'm not sure what exactly it shows other than he's done it before. He's played the position. He's an invaluable piece to this defense. I think people overlook Key Lawrence a little little bit. It It shows you two words, boss. Competitive. Competitive depth. Yeah. Everyone say no. Hell yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just shows that there's versatility on the back end. And it's not just Key Lawrence. Reggie Pearson's a guy that can bump from safety to Cheetah. Peyton Bowen's a guy that can bump from safety to Cheetah to hell. He played, he lined up, and if you're watching our YouTube stream, John Hoover Media on YouTube, be there. Uh, Bunny Ears, quotes lined up as a middle linebacker for a snap or two against, I think it was SMU, but it was it was some of the different sub packages, stuff like that Peyton Bowen did. I, I think you're just seeing how versatile that group is. And that's something that Brittman was talked about going all the way back to signing day. I know he wasn't yeah. talking about Key Lawrence, but the most recent signing day, they talked about the seven defensive backs that they were bringing in, that they're all versatile. Those guys can move around. And you've seen Peyton Bowen be able to do a bunch of stuff. And you saw Kendall Dolby. Brent Middles talked about like they're solid at corner. They knew he could play inside. And now Kendall Dolby's your backup cheetah. And he did a really great job against Texas after I thought some warts initially against Iowa State just because it was his first game playing there. So uh, bye week is huge for all of that, right? As far as Kendall Dolby, another two weeks to work at Cheetah. Um, it, it gives you Ethan Downs another two weeks to try and th- throttle forward the the a really impressive first six weeks of the year that he's had culminating in that two sack performance against Texas. You flip over to the offensive side of the ball. It gives Caden green and, and Caleb Schaefer two weeks at left guard and right guard respectively, where I would expect those two guys to start on Saturday. Big words from uh, Brent yesterday about Kendall Dolby uh, and his ability to step into the game. Listen, he's not a cheetah linebacker. He is a nickel safety, right? A nickel corner. If you like it that way, nickel corner, he does what uh, he's one of those guys that comes in and does what's required of him, does what's asked of him. And the, in this case, it's playing the slot corner. And he's done that before. Watch You watch his junior college film. He has rolled inside and played that position before. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of differences in playing Juco uh, slot corner and on the Juco level and playing Cheetah for Brent Venables, right? There's a ton of differences, but it's not unfamiliar to him. He can come in and do that. So. Uh, I was impressed. I've been impressed with the way that he is a, and to kind of parrot what Brent, or at least the sentiment that Brent was using, he's extremely aggressive. He's extremely confident. He's a baller. He just takes advantage of every opportunity. All these opportunities that come his way, he's like, sure, I can do that. I'll be explosive. I'll get myself to the football. 
and uh, maybe I'll get an interception or a fumble return or something like that. He's been unbelievable so far for for a JUCO guy. Think about that. They're they're not like throwaways, but it's fairly rare for a JUCO guy to come in and say, "I'm contributing to this defensive turnaround right away." Yeah, and it's just I know we're couching this discussion under the umbrella of injuries and the injury report stuff like that. But I mean, when you think to story of up on Olsener's right now, head over to the website, Olsener's.com. Ethan Downs, Brent Venables kind of likened him to a representative of what the defense is, that he played really well against Texas, and that Brent Venables still feels like there's a lot of uh, room between where Ethan's playing right now, where his ceiling is that he could achieve by the end of the year. And he said that's kind of like how the whole defense is. When you think about it, you've got um, Kendall Dolby, who can get even more comfortable at Cheetah, right? You've got Peyton Bowen, who can continue to get snaps. Billy Bowman feels like he's really coming on right now. I, I think that there's more that we can see from Billy Bowman as well. If you could just get Gentry to play four quarters, imagine how many more interception opportunities you could have there over at corner with Gentry Williams. And then you think about the defensive line, R. Mason Thomas is a guy that it feels like he hasn't fully gotten back up to speed quite yet, coming off the ankle sprain to start the year. PJ, I mean, he's just a, an absolute animal, and, and he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He's one of those guys I think Britt Mills would put into that category right now. Now had six games to digest in an off week. Like It, it feels like there's still growth potential for this defense. Jaron Kanick has started just six yeah. games at linebacker. You know what I mean? Like He's only going to get better. The question now is, for those guys, is it going to take another offseason to see another jump or by – the end of November, are we going to see those guys playing at a different level? Because if so, this defense, which has been really good, can get a whole lot better between now and where we think that Oklahoma will be playing, which is the first week into December. Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you on Billy Bowman. I think he's literally playing at an All American level right now. Uh, he's playing smart, confident. Uh, some of his grades on Pro Football Focus don't turn up all you know shiny and new, but at the same time, you need somebody to make a play. It's Billy Bowman. And he's been very consistent delivering big plays. Uh, we've talked about cornerback health. Let's talk about offensive line health, Ryan. The um, I don't know how this is going to shake out. Uh, it sounds like Caleb Schaefer is going to get the start at right guard for McCade Matoyer. Um, but generally speaking, is is Caden Green going to be the guy moving forward like we saw in the back half of the Texas game where he comes in and is like, damn, why isn't he playing more? Yeah, and and – Real quick, Matower was at practice on Tuesday. He was in tennis shoes, not cleats. So gives you not an idea of how much workload he was doing versus not doing. We, we don't get to see all of practice, which you get to see as they're kind of walking off the field. But he did not have a brace on. He didn't have a brace, didn't have a boot. He was in tennis shoes. So that makes me think a couple of weeks maybe away. I don't know what that timeline looks like for McCade. But, yeah, it Schaefer and, and he, Schaefer's talked about, you know, Great, great interview with him. Um, go to allsuiters.com and watch that. Just a nine-minute electric factory Caleb Schaefer is. But talking about just an appreciation for how he's trying to show gratitude for the OU coaches giving him this opportunity coming up from Miami, Ohio, is to show up every day and work his butt off. And I, that's something that they're going to appreciate. Uh, Brent Venables had a funny moment in the press conference where he's like, he, he does frustrate Bill Beanbow sometimes, but you put him in the game and he plays great. So... Uh, it feels like Schaefer is a guy that he basically said, like, I need to go and show that you can't take snaps away from me based off how I play against UCF. So it feels like he'll be the right guard. And we don't get to watch practice. 
No. We don't. Barring Caden Green rolling up and just not knowing what he's supposed to do at practice. I don't know how you can have watched the OU Texas game, yeah. seen the mixed results that Oklahoma had gotten between Savion Bird and Troy Everett. Not that it's been bad, bad, but Caden uh, Green is a different level of caliber of athlete, and a true freshman rolled in there and played just fine in the second half. Uh, I would like to see, personally, Caden Green get a chance to make that left guard spot his own the rest of the year. Doesn't mean you have to pigeonhole him at left guard his entire career, but for this year, Based off what my eyes have seen, Caden Green's been the best option at left guard. It, it's looked the best, and I, I think that yeah. gives you a different kind of upside because Savion Bird for a while was the ceiling guy, the ceiling upside swing on this on this offensive line. I think that Caden Green is – I mean, he's the highest-rated offensive line recruit Bill Beanbow's ever landed, so that shows you the potential. And he's played better than, than Everett or – um, Bird, when you factor in, yes, there have been some mental errors, but what he can do physically, like give him six games, you prepare to play Texas again. Yeah. So with Caden Green, there's there's going to be a growth element, a mental uh, growing into the position uh, transition that he's going to face. When you've got Tavondre Sweat on the other side of the line, what is his strength? 362 pounds, he's going to bull rush you. Caden Green can hold up against somebody like that. The, the, those guys, Sweat was pushing OU guys backwards, was pushing Troy Everett and, and other guys, uh, Andrew Rain was in there, obviously, was pushing them backwards into the backfield. They put Caden Green in, and all of a sudden that stopped. I don't know, you know, Sweat maybe got a little um, sweaty. Sweat got a little uh, tired, perhaps, a little bit fitness issue in the second half of that game, so maybe the push wasn't quite as, as hard. So moving forward, other defensive coordinators, other defenses, uh, other defensive tackles might try, might look at what he did against, uh, what Caden did against Sweat in Texas and say, okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something else. We're going to run some twists at him. We're going to run some stunts at him. We're going to run some slants at him. We're going to blitz in his gap and see if he can hold up mentally because clearly he can hold up physically. Can he hold up mentally? So he's going to be challenged, I think, from this point forward. Um but any, any, go ahead. Real quick, he'll be slotted in between Walter Rouse and Andrew Rame, though. Yeah. So that's where I think you're, you're, there's not a better defensive line left on OU's schedule than what they played in the Cotton Bowl. That's true. There's not a more talent. Surely, there's absolutely not a more talented defensive line. So, I, with the expectation that you're going to play Texas again, probably, or a team that's less talented than Texas, if Texas falters, if you take care of business, all big if. Um, why not give him six games sitting in between two really veteran guys to help work through all that mental stuff, knowing exactly what you said, he can physically hold up so that that's that best unit. And now all of a sudden, because of what happened in the cotton Bowl, you're sitting going, okay, if Oklahoma takes care of business, a long road to go before you get here, would you rather have Troy Everett or Caden green facing Michigan's defensive line? Would, would, and it's not a knock on Troy Everett. He's just a smaller guy. He, yeah. he Build wise, he is just a smaller human, and so um, I think you have to think one mind in that, and also one mind, and you got to go win seven more games. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I like that. I like that line of thinking. Uh, another injury update, sort of, is that uh, I asked about uh, Javante Barnes, and Javante Barnes, is, they're hopeful. Is Brent Venable's word? They're hopeful that he can get himself in the rotation and be a steady contributor the second half of the season. That's basically the way I phrased the question. Uh, he said they're going to try and get him back and get him uh, along with those other guys. So 
It doesn't sound like they're sitting around waiting on Javante Barnes to get healthy, right? Sounds more like they're just trying to say, okay, who's got the hot hand this week? And you think it's going to be, um, I mean, let's, let's assume that starting week eight, which is UCF, let's assume that Javante Barnes foot magically wakes up. He wakes up one day and it's magically feeling healthy, right? Uh, he's a hundred percent. He's able to get back in and get all the work. He hasn't played since Tulsa. All right. He just played the non-conference games. He played uh, uh, Arkansas State and Tulsa. He got 13 carries in each game. And then in the middle one he got against SMU, he didn't get much, I think three or four or five carries. So the question is this, is he capable right now, if his foot is healthy and, and he's feeling good, is he capable right now of coming in and getting 15 carries? Or is it going to have to be dispersed among those other guys? I think that's a question. I think another question is, okay, if it's not this week and it's not next week, you're talking about four more games left. Yep. Oklahoma state's defensive line is not, they're playing better. They're Tommy Walker can handle that. BYU, West Virginia, um, TCU, Tommy Walker can handle all of that. Javante Barnes got a very real decision. If it's not in the next two weeks of, you're under four games right now. Yep. If you're not going to come in and play a huge role, would you rather redshirt just in case you need that extra year of eligibility on the back end of your career? So like, I, I think that we're a lot closer to maybe having that conversation of is Javante Barnes going to try and maintain a redshirt and not have to pull it in an emergency situation than us being to Javante Barnes getting 15 carries a game. Because I, I think between Dylan Gabriel, Tommy Walker, Marcus Major, there's still room to grow for uh, Gavin Sawchuk, especially if those holes are opening up a lot more consistently, coming off a of bye week, stuff like that in front of them. Like, I, I think you're a lot close to saying those four pairs of legs can split the load and maybe you save Barnes. If that's something Barnes wants to do, I don't mm-hmm. know, to suddenly Javante Barnes come back in and looking like the guy that he, he looked like last year's number two back and certainly in the cheese Bowl. Yeah, you don't want him coming back for – kind of like uh, Sawchuck did last year for the for the bowl game, right? I mean, Sawchuck had a great – it was just, one, his what, second game of the year, so it didn't burn a red shirt or anything. But at the same time, you don't want that – okay, come back and play in, uh, you know, some, I don't know, semi-worthless bowl game. Um, you wouldn't want that for Javante Barnes uh, to be his – to be the thing that breaks his red shirt, gets it yeah. over the red shirt rule. So. Um, yeah, and I don't know. The, you're right. The back half of this schedule doesn't have any real teeth defensively. Uh, you're, you're starting to see some teams that are better, that are improved. But uh, I'll tell you this right now, Ryan, you can take for my money. I'm not rooting one way or the other. I'm, I'm just offering some sage uh, couch coach devi- uh, advice here, and that is take Dylan Gabriel out of that equation. You beat Texas with Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel used his legs to beat Texas. You're not going to need him to beat BYU probably. And if you do, it's one carry here or there. You surprise him. You spring it on him. I just think he's he's way too valuable to be running around out there like he did against Texas. Yeah, have it in your back pocket. And if you need it, great. If not, then you can get through it with that. Because like similar with Barnes, what we've seen from Barnes this year even when he's gotten those carries, he hasn't been so much better than any of the other running backs right. to, to run away with it. And so for 
for Gabriel, have it in your back pocket. Um, maybe Tommy Walker also takes some momentum from the Texas game. That's something I asked him after the game. He's like, that's the new standard. We now know we can be that physical every game in the running game. Uh, maybe he takes that to heart. And, and you know, with, with these defenses on paper right now, the six defenses they have left, you don't need a home run hitter to move the ball effectively against those guys. And, yeah, maybe you keep the read option looks in there just so that it freezes a linebacker and Gabriel pulls it once or twice extra. But I, I don't foresee him needing to run over 100 yards to win that game. But you know that he can do it now if, if you yeah. need it. And it, it's the break glass emergency option. That's a good it's way of putting it. Those they can have. Good way of putting it right there. Break glass in case of emergency. Um, and you got Boone and Hicks, the two freshmen who are both very talented. You've got them kind of waiting in the wings. They, I think they understand they're in, in line for a red shirt season, but Quentin Griffin, um, God, who was the other one that did this? Somebody else in the last 20 years has come out of red shirt at the last second and, uh, and contributed might be a situation where down the stretch, you know, if, if you've got a, a banged up guy here or there. Um, one of those freshmen has to come in, step in, and contribute. I think they're physically capable of doing so. I don't know what the, how they are with the football in their under their arm, you know, in terms of ball security. I certainly don't know how they are in pass protection. If you look at the uh, the Pro Football Focus numbers, um, they grade pass protection, pass blocking, and some of the OU running backs are down at the bottom, and so that explains why some of those guys are not playing so much. Uh, Tawi Walker's actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's actually uh, one of the higher graded guys in the pass blocking um, scenario. So. I thought he was a lot better against Texas, too. Right now, yeah. when you look at Tawi's whole season, I think the Cincinnati performance is graded so low that it's yeah. like dragging everything down. Right. So I think he just missed a uh, uh, pickup against Arkansas State in the first game. One singular one. I thought he was really good against Texas. And as absurd as it sounds, if you need to dip into the realm of the freshman, you can play Smothers for two games. You can play Hicks for two games. Yeah. And you don't have to play the same guy if they're yeah. both giving you something. So they've got options. They've got, they've options. got options. They're not hurting for personnel for sure. I don't yeah. think so. What about the wideouts? Uh, they're going into the second half of the season with no Andrell Anthony. I think we were in agreement, all of us, that he had emerged as the number one wideout on the team. He's the one where, and when you go to to the um, combine, he's the one with the W O one. He's at the top of the rotation. He's going to get the first uh, snaps. So now that he's out, ACL surgery gone for the year. Uh, is it as simple as slotting Nick Anderson into his role, and then behind him you've got Jaden Gibson in in Nick Anderson's old role? Yeah, I, I'm not. Sh- if you want to. There's not a like-for-like replacement with everything Andrew has given you because yeah. I we have Nick Anderson's not slow, but Andrew Anthony is like fast, fast, and, mm-hmm. and so uh, I, I think I mean Emmett Jones was quick to correct me in the preseason about Jaden Gibson being one of those guys that has that kind of speed, and you saw who was the first person put out onto the field in that next drive and targeted twice. It was Jaden Gibson, not Nick Anderson. Then Nick Anderson came in, um, so I think those two for sure. Brennan Thompson, Brent Mills says what? He's fast, faster than fast, all that stuff. If you want the true field stretcher there, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to rag on anybody, but I 
I think that the tight end position is what the tight end position has been the first six weeks, that those are guys that can be physical and give you an option in the blocking game. I don't see a scenario where suddenly one of those guys is getting six catches a game when they've been a one to two catch a game guy through the first half of the year. I would almost rather see pull one of those guys off and try maybe a little bit more to quest pet away in the slot, you know, go for why and see something like that um, on top of having kind of the combining Anderson Gibson and Thompson to hopefully those three guys can morph into one and, and replace we were getting for Angel Anthony because we talked about the third down numbers. Anyone can with with eyes that's watched these games sees what he does to stretch the field. I think you get two different guys like Anderson and, and Gibson give you huge bodies for matchup nightmares on third down, and Thompson can run by anybody. I just looked it up. Petaway's played in two games so far this season, so there may be a underlying plan there to to try to redshirt him. Maybe not necessarily, but there may be. Um. I, I'm with you. I'd like to see a little more Petaway. He's got good hands. He's explosive. I don't know how physical he is at the point of attack when he's blocking. Um, I'm sure that's probably something that they'll work with him on, right? Um, but, yeah, wh- what about – you mentioned Brennan Thompson. Could he be in for a bigger role when you talk about not just stretching the field, but they tried to get him the football a couple times underneath and let him run? I – Dude, when you've got somebody that's that fast, I think it's worth your efforts to try to come up with a way to get the football in his hands one way or another. Uh, he's just he's just too much of a weapon to sit over there on the bench. Yeah, and you're not hiding anything anymore, right? Like, you, you hide everything for Texas. In the back half of the year, it's it's full bore, whatever you got. Um, there's not the Andrew Anthony who, because he was so good on third down, he just did not come off the field. You didn't want him to come off the field because of what he could give you, the deep shot option plus a, a safe catch guy. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that traditionally, we've seen this across a bunch of coaching staffs. Lincoln Riley did this, Bob Stoops did this, and they were all correct to do it, I think. The OU-Texas game is a shorter rotation everywhere, and you lean on your experienced guys. Brennan Thompson had been cleared for two games, Iowa State and Texas, which meant that heading into the game, the OU-Texas contest was the second time he was cleared to play. I I just don't think that that was someone that you were going to rely on in the Cotton Bowl, but that also doesn't mean that that's the end-all be of what he's going to be the rest of the year, just because you lean on your experienced guys. And now you've had the bye week as well, so you've had two weeks to work him in even more. I would be stunned if we don't see um, – Brennan Thompson used in some way, fashion, because then it becomes a, you know that they want to use Farouk in a bunch of ways. You know what they do with Stoops, basically simulating a tight end over the middle. He's that important. And for a defensive coordinator, like I would have a headache going, what do we do with Farouk? You want to roll some coverage over there to help. Okay, well, do we want to leave our guy one-on-one on an island with Brennan Thompson? Because that's the, that's the fast track to having a 60-yard bomb dropped on your head because Brennan Thompson – half a second off the snap is running wide open and Dylan Gabriel's just like, I'm just going to heave it as far as I can go. And I can't overthrow it. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, uh, I think he's a skilled weapon. That's uh, just, I mean, I'm, I'd hate to think that you're going into the Texas game relying on him for anything, but at the same time you put him in the slot and you say, okay, go get it, get to the goal line as fast as you can. Dylan, throw it as deep as you can run that thing out there once a half, see what happens. Um, the worst that can happen, literally probably the worst that can happen is 
it's an incomplete pass or 15 yard penalty for pass interference. Um, and I don't know, we, we don't know what their health situation is. He's not somebody that's come up on the injury report. He's not been asked a lot, uh, asked about a lot. Maybe he's one of those finely tuned racehorse kind of receivers. That's got a little hamstring or a toe or something. You know what I mean? We just don't know. So if he's fully healthy, I'd like to see him on a go route. Uh, I think that would, um, as, as much as this offense has stretched opposing defenses and not just stretched them uh, vertically, but horizontally as well. You're talking about sideline to sideline. Watch OU when they line up their wide sets. They're out. They're both outside the numbers. Good luck defending that when you've got guys that can run like Brennan Thompson and, and Andrew Anthony could and all that. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a break. Uh, we'll go into coming up next. Uh, our ex- what do you got? I, I just think that we should find out a lot this week because I think UCF and the issues we've alluded to with them in their run defense, yeah, they're going to want to be committing so many numbers to the run game to be like, if OU's running down their throat, they've got no shot, which I think whoever it is, Gibson, Anderson, Thompson, whatever that looks like, I just think that we should get a good idea immediately because there should be a ton of favorable matchups out there. Very nice. We'll uh, we'll explore that a little further. We'll get into the UCF matchup, and we'll talk about our expectations for the rest of the season coming up next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. If you're on the Twitter, if you're on the X... Give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. You can find me at John E. Hoover underscore Ryan Chapman is where you're going to find Ryan. Follow Ross at Ross Lovelace and Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. Tim is at Tim Willert 2. Our website, of course, is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, and All Sooners is all free. So jump in there, click to your heart's content. Everything you want to read is posted and it is for free. This segment of the All Sooners podcast, thankfully, is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Two questions for you. If you're 100% sure you're going to have a great retirement or do you have some doubt about it? And then second question is, if we could show you how to get completely debt-free, including your mortgage in nine years or less on the very same dollars you're currently spending. Would you want to learn more? I think you would at infinite asset advisors. Not only do they help you plan for retirement, but they also show you how to become debt free before you get there. Hmm. They're experts in financial planning, retirement planning, even estate planning. Just visit their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more and book a call with an expert. All right, Ryan, second half of the season starts Saturday. I guess it actually has technically started this week. There's like the first half, and then there was a week of just building beds and doing other stuff. 
And now the second half has begun. It started on Monday when they reported for practice, maybe Sunday when they reported for film study or whatever. Uh, but it's UCF again, 11 a.m. Of course, like the next two games. Of course, I'll, I'll tell you guys a secret. Home games, I understand. Y'all hate 11 a.m. games. Road games, most of you probably like 11 a.m. games. It gives you a chance to get home early. Uh, we love 11 a.m. games no matter what, home or away. <laughs> it's better uh, It's better for traffic on the website throughout the day. It's better for our sleep patterns. It's better for getting not getting home at 4 in the morning. It's the only chance we have to watch the night games, is it, for an 11 a.m. game? Yes, that too. We get done and we go out and we watch the night games and have a, a nightcap or some hot dogs or whatever. Yeah, man, I just I I can't complain about 11 a.m. games. I know what you, I know what the complaints are, but I'm not going to complain because um, we can get so much more done when the game starts in the morning, and then we've got all day to work on it. So the uh, the night games, the back half of the or the morning games, the back half of the season will be a little bit different for me. I'm back to an old schedule, I think. Uh, Hoove on Saturday, I'll be out at the franchise stage from seven to nine on the north west corner of the stadium and i'm yeah. already booked for the seven to nine show before outcu at 11 a.m so oh, wow. i have not i have not escaped the pregame coverage this year but come say what's up i think it's me and matt burton this weekend uh me and dylan buckingham for black friday so i i wouldn't mind that west virginia game being not a morning kick if i end up drawing that straw as well <laughs> right uh i'm gonna look up a, a quick statistic while we're uh while we're getting ready for this uh golly if i could type you know what i can't type so I apparently just... i'm not gonna look up this quick quick uh oh man they well ou's played what the, the kansas game being put at 11 that means that it's confirmed six of their 12 games will be 11 a.m kickoffs this year in the regular season including that tcu game on black friday that's already set if and when they make the big Twelve championship that's an 11 a.m kick so you're looking at minimum seven for the sooners i am looking at uh, betting odds for saturday's game and some houses have this up to 20 and a half really yes uh, i'm still seeing 18 and a half and 19 for most but uh and i can't i can't they give you logos but they don't tell you what the logo is um uh, looking what is this Bet Rivers. BetRivers.com is giving you the game at 20 and a half if you want it. Uh, and then there's another one that is not allowing me to click. But anyway, 20 and a half is where you can get some of these. That is uh, Unibet. I've never heard of Unibet. I'll be honest with you. And I've only heard of Bet Rivers like moderately. Anyway, um, Bet365 is giving it to you for 19. FanDuel, 18 and a half uh mgm 18 and a half so that's about where it's at uh sooners are a big favorite almost three touchdown favorite ryan um we've talked about ucf's offense we've talked about ucf's running game ucf's defense you said it not very good does oklahoma name its score on saturday or do they have any concerns uh i think their biggest concern is are they out of rhythm off the bye week truly offensively um and it's wild to say that because they might have two guys that have not started at guard yet that'll start. We've discussed the ongoing question mark that is the running back room, the ongoing question mark that is how do you um, replace Andrew Anthony and how big of a piece he was for that offense. And I just think it's not going to matter. Um, everyone in the Big 12, good, bad, ugly, has run all over this night's 
uh, defense. And look, I know this doesn't really matter for much, but there are two schools in the country who that are perfect in both just win-loss record and perfect against the spread. That's Oklahoma and Penn State. Uh, on average per week, the Sooners have outperformed the spread by 13 points. That is the largest margin in the country. There's only four schools that on average um, are, are beating the spread by 10 points. I don't think it'll be that big of a margin just because I think 18, 19, 20 is a big number. Uh, but I, I think that like when we – Put out our staff picks on Friday. I'll have Oklahoma winning this game. I'll have Oklahoma covering this game. I think it's a 21-point game just because I know that Gus Bus, Gus Malzahn, has the trick ratio. I know that John Rice Plumley adds another element. Here's the fact of the matter. John Rice Plumley, if you make him throw the ball, he will throw it to anyone in any jersey. He's done that last year, this year, and especially against Power 5 defenses that he's played. And so while he is a better quarterback for sure, uh, if Oklahoma can bottle up the running game, then I think they should be good, and that just requires sure tackling, which we've seen from this Oklahoma team uh, all year long, all six games. Give you guys a little bit of recap on UCF season. They opened up in August 31st and beat Kent State with the new member. Kent State's head coach became Dion's offensive coordinator. Uh, so they beat Kent State 56-6, and then they were they went on the road and they beat Boise State 18-16. to which was a little bit, if you look back on their on their season so far, that's the surprise. Uh, Villanova, you know, FCS won uh, 48 to 14. That was an football. easy one. Villanova and football. Yeah, no kidding. Villanova and football. Uh, and they, they go on the road to open Big 12 play, lose by almost two touchdowns, 44-31 at Kansas State. And then, of course, they gacked it up big time at home against Baylor, 36-35. Uh, great, amazing comeback by Baylor. And then last week at Kansas, they just got housed 51-22. So that's where they stand, 3-0 and in non-conference play with one surprising win, 0-3 uh, in conference play and just getting trucked one time. So here they are coming to Oklahoma, sixth-ranked Sooners. Um, what Ryan said about Penn State is correct. OU and Penn State are also the only teams in the country to rank in the top seven of total offense, scoring offense and scoring defense. So that explains why they're so good at covering the spread, right? They're blowing people out. I think Oklahoma names its score on Saturday. Um, I think UCF may, this season, UCF and Houston, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. They've got the recruiting base there to draw from that, you know, kids that don't go to Florida or Florida State or Miami or, you know, Georgia or any of those schools around that area. They Some of them want to go to UCF, and there's some people right now that are considering, there's some recruits out there that are considering, hmm, do I go to UCF or do I go to Oklahoma? Seriously. So they've got that in their corner, but at the same time, I think in a lot of ways, they've got the farthest to go, UCF does, of the four schools that are new to the conference this year. Houston's got a ways to go, but Houston's got Houston recruits right there in their backyard. So that'll help. Uh, BYU has always been an enigma. Like, how are they always so good? And why? And then you look and you study a little bit and you're like, wait a minute, why are they not better? So interesting. And then Cincinnati, I don't know. Cincinnati's coming off that playoff run two years ago. So I'm not, I'm not sure where the rest of the Big 12 sits. Uh, Ryan, any thoughts about the Big 12 newcomers before we jump into the rest of OU season? Yeah, I, I just think it's important to remember, too, with UCF, like 
this isn't going to fix the defense, but Plumley has played, he's thrown seven passes in Big 12 play. He tried to come back uh, two weeks ago, I believe, uh, against Kansas. They're coming off a bye week, which has helped them as well. Both OU and UCF coming off the bye. If Plumley plays against Baylor, they win. Um, if Plumley plays against K State, I don't think they win. So they think they have the defense to win that game, but I think it's a little bit closer with how K State was playing then. That was a banged up defense at that point. K State's playing better football today than they were when UCF rolled in. Um, I think if they both played today, it would look the same. But um, as Brent Venable said, Oklahoma saw this last year. Playing the Big Twelve with a backup quarterback is not ideal, especially when your backup quarterback couldn't cut it at USF. Uh, for the Knights. I think Gus is the best coach out of the four. He, he's got the experience. I, I just think for UCF more than anything, yes, they got to get the defense fixed. Uh, John Walker's a true freshman. Uh, Derek LeBlanc is someone that I think will eventually be helpful to UCF. Like, I, I think that they'll be able to get there. If you look at some of the recruiting numbers, they're the best suited, not just of the newcomers. They're going to be one of the best recruiting Big 12 teams, period, in the new Big 12. Uh, I, I think UCF will get there. It's just a unfortunate circumstances that Plumlee has been banged up to start their big 12 campaign. Uh, I am looking at the ESPN college football power index for 2023. Get this. Uh, OU right now has the number two FPI football power index behind Ohio state, Ohio state, 27.8. Not a hundred percent sure what that means, Uh, but they've got OU ranked number two at 26.4 right ahead of Penn state at 25.2. You go over here to the far right column and you, and they, they make projections. So you've got the power index based on what you've done. And then you've got projections based on the rest of your schedule, I presume, and how you've played. OU has the best chance of anybody get this to win their conference. Um, Florida State is at 62.2. Everybody else is down in the 40s and the 30s. Florida State's at 62.2. OU is at 63.8. That's to win the conference. OU has by far, I'm not kidding about this, the best chance to win, uh, sorry, to get to the playoff. Um, Let's see, second would be Ohio State at 55. Everybody else is in the 40s and 30s. Oh, so Ohio State, 55.6. OU's chance of getting to the playoff, 70.1. Holy cow. OU has the best chance, according to this, of making the national championship game, 39.9. Next is Ohio State at 33. Everybody else is in the teens. 39.9. Projections to win the national championship. Ohio State second, 18.9. Nobody else is above 10. 18.9% chance to win the national championship. Who's number one? Oklahoma at 22.3. That's what the, that's not like pundits. That's not like people saying, here's what I think about Oklahoma. That's according to ESPN's college football power index, which is a mathematical formula, looking at the trend of the season that you've had so far and what you've got laying ahead of you schedule wise. Holy cow, Ryan, I didn't realize OU was the, uh, mathematical favorite to win the national championship this year i i feel like we've blacked out and we are in a time machine (laughs) because from 2003 to about 2012 when oklahoma was good like the years that they were 
front runner, top 10 good. The Sooners were always the darling of the computer rankings, the computer portion of the BCS. And I feel like we, we have teleported right back to that hoof because yeah. Oklahoma is once again a computer darling. And that's, look, we've talked about the schedule in the preseason. We talked about the schedule all the way back when it came out. Um, outside of Texas, OU got the good break on the schedule in the Big 12. I don't think anyone's run from that. I think that's why there's been a lot of understanding of like, yes, you can only play who's in front of you. But OU has beat the crap out of a lot of teams that have just stood in front of them. Maybe Cincinnati notwithstanding as far as that goes. But uh, the Sooners are taking care of business. And and it's not going to get any worse the rest of the way. Who you, you look at the FPI, um, the matchup predictor. Yeah. Here's OU's run the rest of the way. 94.1% chance to beat UCF. Yep. 89.6% chance to beat Kansas. 91.8% to win Bedlam. 94.8% against West Virginia. 94.6% on the road in Provo. And the big one, the one that's really got everyone worried, Oklahoma is merely an 88.4% chance to beat uh, West uh, TCU Excuse me, on Black Friday per the matchup. So... It just becomes one of those, like, what you're looking at, who, on paper, Oklahoma should win all these games. It's a big step forward to go from 6-7 and seven to being able to take care of everything every single week to go 12-0. and 0. But when you look at it left, I mean, for you, what's the most difficult game left on OU's schedule? Well, based on that, it's TCU at 88.4%. Yeah, based <laughs> on the numbers. What, 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 what do Hoover's eyeballs tell him? Yeah, I'm going to say at Kansas. Uh, because I just get the feeling Lance Leipold and those guys are holding Jalen Daniels back for the Oklahoma game. The Beating Oklahoma would do more for them. Having him healthy for the OU game would do more for them than winning uh, a, a middle of the you know October game. Uh, if you beat OU, all of a sudden, boop, you're in the rankings and you're on the radar and everybody loves you. And, oh, my gosh, team of the week. And, that's going to do the most for you. So I just get the feeling they're trying to hold on with Jason Bean to, for dear life until Jalen Daniels gets back for uh, the Oklahoma game. Are, are you buying into the rumors that Daniels might be trying to save that fourth game to redshirt and transfer elsewhere next year? It depends on how hurt he is. Like, is this a long-term thing or or is it literally like I'm saying, they're just saying, just sit wow. tight. We'll, we'll get through the first half of the schedule without you. We'll bring you back. You'll lead us to the Big 12 title. Yeah, some some of the rumors around, and these are rumors. So we're we're entering rumor territory. We're taking off reporter hat. We're just doing the pundit thing. Um, the rumors that it's less of the injury and more that like Jalen Daniels look around going, maybe I should just hold out and get one nil payday next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, is is he with his coach, his current coach? Are they both in East Lansing next year at this time? You, you know what I mean? Like. I, that situation is so weird that like it's absolutely Kansas if Daniels plays. If it's not, I would like to see more of Hoover at, at TCU. If he is what he was this past weekend, then I think it's absolutely the Horn Frogs. If not, I might punt and default and say Provo is going to be a madhouse. Like yeah. I understand that Oklahoma State is playing better. I get it. I know that's the last bedlam, and that's going to mean a great deal. Their offensive line is awful. I'm not buying that defense. And it's Bedlam. What happens in Bedlam more times than not? If it's a fun <laughs> game, if it's a blowout, regardless, Oklahoma yeah. wins a football game. And you're yeah. telling me that after it took Spencer Sanders 
it took tackling Caleb Williams on a last-second scramble, and it took a top-five defense for Oklahoma State to pull the big Bedlam win in 2021. That defense ain't a top-five defense. Alan Bowman ain't Spencer Sanders. Uh, that offensive line, while a lot better, and they have found ways to give running lanes to Ollie Gordon, Oklahoma's defensive line just shredded Texas' offensive line. Texas' offensive line is in a different planet than Oklahoma State's. I just am not buying that. Like Dealing with the atmosphere and the emotion will be difficult. If you're just talking about the quality of football that's being played, Oklahoma should just thump Oklahoma State. Probably not going to disagree with that. Um, and you can't take the emotion out of it. That's like, yeah. that's like, well, if you take away these two throws, it's college football. You can't take away. It's like it's, but that game is more about the atmosphere landmine than what's actually on the field. That's right. You're right about that. Um, and and I don't like uh, I don't like Oklahoma State's chances there when it comes to uh, beating uh, what we've seen so far as a really good Oklahoma team. Um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that one. That's November 4th in Stillwater. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I think Oklahoma gets up for that one because simply it's the last Bedlam game. You know how Oklahoma State has gotten a couple of wins in this series? Like, holy crap, where did that come from? 2014, 2002, uh, 2001. Those are shockers. Those are stunners. Oklahoma State is never favored in this game. I think in this case, uh, OU would be favored by double digits. I think in this case, OU would be dialed in and would be like, okay, guys, last Bedlam game, we ain't going out with a loss. You know what I mean? They would not sneak up on them. They would not backdoor some kind of crazy Bedlam-type win. Uh, I like OU in that game to win probably big. Um, what about West Virginia, November 11th? In Norman, I know West Virginia's never won in Norman, right? They never beat. OU before last year in Big 12 play. Um, remember last year in in, uh, in Morgantown, that was the Ryan flu game. Uh, by the way, back up a step when Ryan said he wants to see Hoover at TCU. He's talking about jo- the other Josh Hoover. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my credential for the Texas game. Or was it the the little placard where you sit at the desk? Yeah, the placard uh, on uh, in the Cotton yeah. Bowl said Josh Hoover. Said, uh, Josh Hoover. Yeah, so. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I'm not that good a quarterback. I could catch passes from him, I think, if it wasn't for my bad thumb. Anyway, uh, West Virginia, they they went – was it on the road or was that a neutral site game when they went and lost to Penn State 38-14? It in Happy Valley. It was in Happy Valley. Wow. So they've been tested. They've seen what really good football looks like. We're talking about West Virginia – I'm sorry, we're talking about OU and Penn State being the only two teams with this on their resume. West Virginia's seen those guys. Uh, and then last week, they got beat by a Hail Mary at Houston, on the road at Houston. Houston's not good, but uh, it takes a last you know game-ending Hail, Hail Mary to do it. What about West Virginia? Yeah, I, I think that all in all, weirdly enough, and I would like to couch all of this, and I need to see more of the Hoover experience in Fort Worth, because that will change a lot. If if we're talking Chandler Morris and then what we've seen, I think West Virginia might be playing the best football that anyone left on the schedule. Uh, I think a lot of people just gravitate to the Kansas game. Um, and that's a, it, evaluating Kansas without Daniels as well. If we're going to evaluate TC with Morris, this is Kansas without Daniels. Kansas with Daniels, it's Kansas. End of discussion. Um, as the toughest opponent, yeah. not as the, the team that's going to beat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that you factor in just – 
it's a home game and that was a, a close game last year and Dylan Gabriel's playing a lot better. Like the the gap between Dylan Gabriel last year to Dylan Gabriel this year is larger than what I've seen from Green last year to Green this year. The gap between how Oklahoma's defense has improved from last year to this year is way bigger than how the West Virginia defense has improved from last year to this year. Like I just think that if you look at the improvement from when those teams two teams matched up in Morgantown, OU has improved so much more. And while West Virginia kept that score against Penn State maybe closer than we thought, they were never in that game. That game was never close. They were physically overmatched. You could see it. And I think Oklahoma has the more explosive offense than Penn State. So I think that thing can get away from West Virginia a lot faster. As much good as you feel about what West Virginia's offense did against Houston, they gave up a 50 spot. So like I feel more bad about how West Virginia's defense played. And as the season goes on, I mean – Traditionally in the Big 12, outside of when Will Greer was the quarterback, the Mountaineers are a totally different team at home. They're on the road, and they'll be in Norman. BYU is going to be crazy. Provo, Lavelle Edwards Stadium is going to be, like, frothing. It's going to be stirred up. It's going to be a madhouse. Question is, is BYU good enough to do it on the field? Um you know, they go on the road. They're good enough to go on the road in the SEC and beat Arkansas. I know Arkansas is not a great team, but Arkansas just lost by three to uh, Alabama, right, in Tuscaloosa. So um, BYU, BYU, I mean, Keaton Slovis last week, they got housed by TCU. Keaton Slovis last week, 15 of 34 for 152 yards, threw a pick. They have one of the worst rushing games in the country. Um I don't know. Talent-wise, matchup-wise, I think Oklahoma's, like the FPI says, 90-whatever percent, 91%. I get that. But at the same time, this atmosphere-wise, this might be the number one um, road atmosphere that Oklahoma faces the rest of the way. And I think, too, it is really important to note, though, Booth, which has been a library, has been electric this year. And I know they just got, Kansas just got beat by Oklahoma State, but this is the you beat Oklahoma, you're straight back in the race to Arlington, right? Especially if Jalen Daniels is playing. I know it's 11 a.m. I think that the atmosphere, like the three atmospheres they have left, I think Booth's going to be louder than OU's ever heard it, probably. Um, Boone Pickens, it always delivers for Bedlam. It's just if yeah. Mike Gundy and the team can deliver. And I, I think that Provo's going to deliver. So, like, Oklahoma has three, I think, difficult atmospheres to deal with. But if Jalen Daniels isn't playing, again, I default back to this is more about Brent Middles talks about Oklahoma make your layup, stuff like that. If Oklahoma tackles Ollie Gordon, OSU's dead in the water. If Oklahoma can bottle up Neal and, and Henshaw enough to make Jason Bean have to beat you with his arm a little bit, can't happen. Like Jason Bean's not going to win that football game. Same with Keaton Slovis. Uh, he's got great skill position players, but – if you're still relying on Slovis to make those decisions, Oklahoma will intercept him maybe three times. <laughs> like that, that is that is how laissez-faire Slovis has been with the football uh, throughout his career. Yeah, Slovis has, has played some really good Power Five opponents as a quarterback because he's played at so many Power Five schools. And we've not seen uh, in the even in the age of the transfer portal, he's like one of the first, if not the first, guy to just jump around like this and play this many opponents, this many conferences. Uh, it's kind of crazy to watch. 
All right, last game, Black Friday, Norman, Oklahoma, TCU. You said it. They have, according to FPI, the highest chance of anybody left on the schedule of beating OU. What would that be, an 11.6% chance? They're, OU is a, yeah. they're almost in the teens. Almost in the teens. It's not going to happen. Um, so you mentioned Josh Hoover and, and Chandler Morris. Uh, Chandler Morris has, has had this job twice. Has he lost it twice? Is Hoover the uh, the guy going forward? Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to our um, our TCU site at Big Tail Media Day, just asking like, what's kind of the vibe around Fort Worth? And it sounded like out of the spring, it was a situation of TCU really liked Hoover, but were they going to be able to give the freshman the nod over a guy that won the job out of camp last year, right? Mm-hmm. Like Chandler Morris won the job out of camp, lost it due to injury. Max Duggan was awesome. No reason to turn back. Um, and so I, I think that this was something for Chandler Morris of don't open the door to the young guy, because now it's like Morris is not a young guy anymore. And if he's going to make the mistakes, just let the freshman take the lumps and learn so that you, you've got a better prepared quarterback heading into the 2024 season. I, I think barring an injury, knock on wood, I, I think Hoover's the guy. Now, what does that look like? Hoover's always the guy. Let me yeah, just say, uh, Hoover's always the guy. Hoover's always the guy. But I think Josh, <laughs> the real Josh Hoover, uh, I, I think that it's one of those things of now the question just becomes, was this a BYU team that just didn't have any tape to prepare? You're going to have half a season. Because uh, we saw Chandler Morris infamously in 2021. He was the lone guy in all of college football that torched Dave Aranda's Big 12 championship winning Baylor defense. And he shredded them, and he's not gotten close to that performance since then. I think that's just the big question left is, uh, can Hoover find some consistency? Is that what he's going to be the whole rest of the year? Was he a one-hit wonder? What does that look like? Because Hoovers are not known to be one-hit wonders. We know I was going to say, what, what are you trying to say, Ryan? <laughs> that is not the Hoover way. <laughs> We're all just looking for a little consistency, whether your name's Hoover or anybody else. Uh, 44 to 11, they took down BYU last week. Uh, he, Hoover threw, uh, get this, 37 of 58, 439 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. So prone to some mistakes, but also prone to slinging that ball all over the yard. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Should be a uh, Should be an interesting... Back half of the season for Oklahoma. Listen, um, we've talked about it a million times. The schedule is not great. Um, Strength of record, OU right now. Strength of record, according to FPI. This is the ESPN Mathematical Index, right? Number one in the country, strength of record. Strength of schedule, number 39. Tells you right there, they're not playing a very tough schedule. But they're playing the schedule that is in front of them, and uh, I think Brent Venables would take um, a 90% chance to beat everybody else. If you tell him right now you've got a 90% chance of beating the rest of the – he would say, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's play. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, and so it, it'll be the, – the big unknown for all this, we've talked about the atmospheres uh, on the road. The, the other big unknown is just Oklahoma's been a under-the-radar team through six weeks. Oklahoma's arrived. Dylan Gabriel was on ESPN this week. Danny, yep. Danny Sussman was on Pat McAfee's show this week. Uh, you know, Barstool's talking about the video that, that Oklahoma dropped uh, to recap the Texas game on their pregame show last Saturday. And I know fans don't like the 11 a.m. kickoff, but the fact of the matter is UCF is not a good football team. ABC wanted Oklahoma, so ABC put them in 11 a.m. Kansas, there's a ton of unknowns around Kansas. As it stands, they're an unranked football team. Guess what? Fox wanted a slice of Oklahoma. 
Um, so Caleb Schaefer was asked on Tuesday night, is it easier, harder to tune out positive outside noise as opposed to disrespect negative stuff? And Schaefer's like, it's all the same. We just, I, he's like, I don't do the social media thing, but the Sooners are feeling themselves. So can they find a way to bring that chip on their shoulder for six more weeks? If not, then the atmosphere plus it's Oklahoma, you get everybody's best shot, all that. We know how long did we spend, how many years, decades, at least two decades, did we spend trying to find the game that it doesn't make any sense, your head hurts, and we come out and we're talking about Oklahoma loss. Yeah. So I go back to 100% agree with what you're saying, but I go back to that video. Uh, post In that video, I think, is, is a post-game celebration moment where Key Lawrence, I think it was Key Lawrence, correct me if I'm wrong, looks right in the camera and says, what are they going to say now? Well, if they're smart, they're going to say you just beat Texas and you're 6-0 and and you've got six games left. Remember how Brent Venables, after every game, hey, nobody's beating their chest around here. Nobody's beating their chest. They're beating their chest now. They beat Texas and they're beating their chest. The question is, and they should. You beat Texas in this rivalry game, you should beat your chest. The question is, is very simple. Okay, are you good enough up here to get back to work and get back to the grind that puts you at 6-0? and That's the big question for me. And Brent is doing everything he can to fight that, that phenomenon. He's talked about it 100 times, but now that he's actually here, 6-0, and beat Texas, ranked number six in the country. Last week was number five. Can he guard against guys looking ahead, going 12-0, and getting in the FPI and saying, we got a 90% chance to beat everybody. You got to guard against all that stuff. It's, this is his first time now as the favorite. This is Brent Venable's first time to be in charge of a program that is favored, favored mathematically, to win the national championship. He's never coached a team from ahead before. He's always coached as an underdog, as a, as a you know, here comes Oklahoma, little old Oklahoma, second year Brent Venables. Now he's in the driver's seat. What's he going to do? How's he going to coach this team up? It's going to be interesting to watch, Ryan. Yeah, and, and as much as we talk about the negative side of dealing with this, there's this also happens in college football. It has not happened a lot to Oklahoma because they usually start at the top. Yep. But there's a world where Oklahoma goes in and says, we feel like internally we played our C-plus game and we beat Texas. Yep. How good does that make us? Yeah. And there's another world where Oklahoma unlocks a different level of, it's not arrogance, but a different level of confidence in everything that they're doing, a different level of belief in the coaching staff. And as long as they're working the whole time, there's another world where Oklahoma uses that Texas game as a springboard to play an even higher level of football for the final yeah. six games. That's an avenue as well. We're just not used to talking about that with an Oklahoma team because usually you start at the top, Yep. And it's how do you block out all the noise? There's a different way to block out the noise, which is going, okay, the whole first half of the season, whether they're going to say it or not, was built toward erasing 49 to zero. Yep. Now let's go show the rest of the country how good we really are. And we got that credit. And now let's prove everyone right every single week. That's also something that can happen. Uh, but I think every Oklahoma fan's like, no, just do the under the radar thing. Go back to that other, go back to that other side of things. Yeah. Be an under, underdog, please. You're 100% right. Uh, you, the way you said that phrased it perfectly. Uh, Oklahoma as an underdog, it's not happening this year. Forget about it. You're going to have to readjust your uh, your your mindset. And there is nothing better 
than the Oklahoma coaches for the Oklahoma coaches than being able to look back at that Texas game, point to the scoreboard and say, okay, now look, let's look at these 37 plays that you guys played horrible and, and what we can do to fix that and how we can get better from these, these busts and these, you know, whiffs and these drops and whatever else. Uh, there's a lot to learn from that Oklahoma game and there's no better way to learn than by beating your rival. Right. And coming off of that, coming off of a, uh, a an intense win over your rival and still being able to teach from it. This ain't 63, 14, right? Yeah. And it's uh look, what did Britt Vittable say after, Oh, it, it was a midweek press conference. He was asked. He was asked, basically on the lines of the defense is playing really well. How do you balance playing with confidence and enjoying it, but not getting overconfident? All that stuff. And, and Brett Middles just talked about basically one of those things of dominating people is fun. Like when you are so good that there's nothing a team can do. That's a fun place to live and a fun place <laughs> to be in. With the schedule they have the rest of the way, Oklahoma could live in that place easily yeah. in four of these six games. Like it, I, I just I wanted. I know that the conversation is all toward how do you handle it. Like this team could handle it great, and it it could unlock something else, unlock a different level of confidence, a different level of swagger. We've seen Dylan Gabriel play with, I think, even a different edge since Big Twelve play. He's been different all year long, but I think he's unlocked another level of that since Big Twelve play, where he started running in some of these touchdowns. Think about him just absolutely running over the Iowa State defense, mm-hmm. which it turns out's a pretty good unit. I mean, the Iowa State's playing good football since that game, and Oklahoma embarrassed them. Uh, there's no reason why Oklahoma couldn't also do that. Um, but I think everyone would rather stay focused on the just tamp down the expectations again, tamp, tamp it down. But uh, yeah, that's also, hey, it's also something that could happen. You just got to go one and oh this week. Yeah, John, you just got to keep the main thing the main thing. You main and thing, Josh, both, both Hoovers got to keep the main thing the main thing. That's right. I heard uh, Reese Davis in, invoke uh, uh, Lou Holtz saying you don't have to be the best team in the country every week. You just have to be the best team in the stadium that week. Lou Holtz-isms, man. Can't, uh, can't have enough of those in life. No, and he, he said it in a much like less roundabout, babbly way, too. Yes, he did. <laughs> Not that he gets Lou, but... It was a good impersonation by Reese Davis, too. Good <laughs> stuff, Ryan. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, also, real quick. Uh, if you somehow missed it, we didn't get to talk about it last week. Kelly Maxwell has spoken. That's on allsooners.com. I'm not going to make you scroll through the whole website, though you should definitely read every piece of content that we've dropped right. since last Wednesday. Just hit the softball tab. Hit the softball tab. Uh, Terry Jennings and Kinsey Hansen talked about Love's Field and getting to walk through the construction site there. They had some really cool perspective, as did Patty Gasso. Uh, we've got a Kelly Maxwell story. I had a notebook from last week's Battle Series game which is the inner squad scrimmages. That's all up there. Who have you had the recap from Oklahoma's domination uh, on Monday? They'll be back in battle series action tonight, this Wednesday. And I think I uh, have some stuff going on, uh, need to be upright and available on Saturday for us. But I think our guy Randall just texted, Randall will be there this evening at the battle series. And I don't know who he'll get to talk to because Patty and a couple of players talked on Monday, but all that will be at allsuiters.com as well. Just because football's humming doesn't mean that softball doesn't also hum here at All Suiters. Hey, they beat North Central Texas 37 to nothing. Uh, 22, no, 31 hits, uh, something like 10 home runs. A uh, no hitter. A no hitter by the pitching. What's wrong with this team, Ryan? In 10 innings, a combined 10 inning no hitter. And uh, I, look, 
OBU, no offense to North Central Texas, is a lot better than North Central Texas. But you look around some other fall ball happening, uh, it was 6-1 in Stillwater. Oklahoma State beat OBU 6-1 in their fall ball scrimmage. And again, OBU is way better. There's a really fun reason why um, NCTC continues to be – not a fun reason, but a really cool reason, sorry. Yeah. Um, why NCTC continues to be played by Oklahoma, really touching Patty Gasso again, using Oklahoma's brand to help softball across the country. But not every team looks like that in the fall. 37 nothing. I saw that and I was like, wait a minute. I've seen that score on a football field before. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Thanks. Absolutely. We'll see it. Yep. This segment of the All Sooners podcast was presented by Infinite Asset Advisor, Advisors. Sorry. Go to infiniteassetadvisors.com. Learn how you can get debt free and begin your real retirement planning right now. Don't wait. Whether it's retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, or living trusts. Let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio and get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. Just call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or head over to their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Thanks to those guys. Coming up next, Randall's going to talk a little recruiting and uh, we'll uh, finish this thing up on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. And we're back, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Again, a reminder, if you guys like the podcast, go ahead and like it on social media or give us a rating. We like the five-star ratings the best, of course. That's really helpful if you could do that. And then uh, share us on social media. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, all that kind of good stuff. Randall joins us for segment three. Appreciate it, Randall. Thanks for having me, as always. Absolutely. I just got a call. My phone, I should say. (laughs) My phone rang, and it was a call from a friend who's on the TCU communications staff, and then it stopped. I was looking at it and I was like, what the heck? Uh, I get it. Unfortunately, yeah, I think it was a mistake. I believe he meant to call Josh Hoover, (laughs) not John Hoover, as Ryan and I talked about in the last segment. Oh, well, I was hoping for some high-level intel out of Fort Worth, but uh, instead I basically get butt-dialed, right? That's okay. As I mentioned in the last segment, uh, he's not the first Big 12 media guy to get me and Josh Hoover confused, and I'm guessing he won't be the last yeah, I, I saw his name all over Twitter this weekend, and I couldn't help but think, hey, that's my boss. I know, right? He's like, wait a minute. Whoa, tap the brakes. Uh, <laughs> I ha- he had a seat in the uh, Cotton Bowl press box and didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> Josh Hoover. Anyway, um, we're back. We're going to close out the, uh, the the kind of the 2023 season talk. Uh, Dylan Gabriel right now, second in the Heisman odds. We didn't really mention that 
very much. Uh, Michael Penix, um, I'm looking for the, uh, I was telling you guys some betting odds earlier. Michael Penix right now, according to BetMGM, the Washington quarterback, also a lefty, is uh, betting odds to win the Heisman are minus 145. Okay, so that's that's pretty good odds. That's really good money. Second on this list, among all these players, all these quarterbacks, is uh, one Dylan Gabriel, left-handed quarterback from OU. He's plus 1,000. <laughs> so quite a difference. Penix, six games through the season, halfway through the season, is a little bit of running away with it, but uh, that can change. We all know those can change uh, very quickly. Last week, Caleb Williams was the betting favorite, and he is now ranked on this list number eight at plus 3,500. All he did was go on the road and throw three interceptions, get beat by four touchdowns. So it can change quickly. Uh, Penix, Gabriel, worth watching the rest of the season. Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy, I think, is tied with uh, Dylan Gabriel right now, the quarterback at Michigan. Jordan Travis is on this list, along with Jaden Daniels. Drake May from North Carolina as well. Bo Nix is plus 3,000. I'm looking, I'm looking. The top non-quarterback on this list is Michigan running back Blake Corum at plus 5,000. So if you want to get in on some Heisman action, there you go. Bet MGM's got them all. Uh, Randall, um, we might as well finish with uh, what we were talking about. Uh, speaking of Jeff Lebby, um, Dylan Gabriel, I should say, speaking of Dylan Gabriel, <laughs> him and Jeff Lebby are the subjects of a story I wrote earlier in the week. Yeah. Talk to Jeff Levy down in uh, down in Dallas after the game because they're not made available to us midweek anymore. So I had to ask him post-game Texas before an open date, hey, what do you think about UCF? And he's like, he he understood. He got it. He, so he he described his time, his two years at UCF as a, as a lot of fun, working with Josh Heupel. And, of course, he went into uh, Dylan Gabriel and how in 2018 he went to Hawaii to recruit Dylan Gabriel. That must have been a tough assignment, right? you got to go all the way to Hawaii to recruit a quarterback. Um, he recruited Dylan Gabriel with the intention of being a great quarterback. And then when he was asked, did you recruit him thinking that he could be a Heisman guy someday? Uh, he said, yeah, listen, I'm not going to get into the Heisman hype. I'm going to let that. Heisman talk fall where it may, but I wrote that story earlier in the week, I think on Monday, Monday night, uh, Gabriel and Jeff Lebby versus UCF, because that's where they were. That's where they started. That's where they formed their relationship. Randall, uh, any thoughts about uh, how the Sooners are lining up this week against the uh, Golden Knights as they come to Norman for Saturday morning's game? Yeah. And I mean, you know, to kind of piggyback off of what you said, Dylan Gabriel and Brent Venables both kind of highlighted similar things, you know, Dylan Gabriel said, you know, it's really interesting how college football brings you full circle, um, you know, from committing to UCF back in, what was that, 2018, 2019, now playing against UCF as an Oklahoma quarterback who's firmly in the Heisman race, you know, all these years later, under the same offensive coordinator. It's just, it is crazy how uh, the college football world turns. But uh, Brent Venables said that their relationship was almost like a father-son relationship, which, you know, is really, really interesting as well. I mean, obviously those Dylan two- and Dylan, Dylan and Levy, yes, yes, thank you. Right. Well, obviously, their relationship is very close. We've seen that throughout this season. Um, and, I mean, I, I think that that's helped Dylan Gabriel play great football so far. Uh, as for specifically this Saturday, OU-UCF, I think that, um, you know, obviously UCF is really going to test OU's run defense. Um, we saw a few slip-ups at times against Texas. You know, for the most part, OU's run defense this season has been really good. But, uh, you know, some – 
some late touchdowns against Texas, things like that, uh, scrambles by Emory Jones. We have seen moments where they've slipped up. And so this UCF team, which loves to run the ball, they've got a very fast athletic quarterback. They're going to really test that um, that run defense even more uh, than, or, you know, just as much, if not more, than teams like Texas, like Cincinnati. Um, and I, I also think another key thing to, to look out for will be uh, Caleb Schaefer in the game. You know, no McCade Matoyer, uh, obviously at right guard. Uh, whoever they play at left guard uh, will probably be a combination of Bird, Everett, or um, Caden Green. So that's an interesting um, kind of uh, wrinkle in the game too. But I think, uh, you know, checking in on Caleb Schaefer during his first start, uh, he's a team captain. I think that's going to really be um, telling for how OU performs while McCade Matoyer is out with his injury. You're right. Schaefer's going to be interesting to watch. This is why he came to OU to provide that depth that he can step in and replace a three-year starter. Yep. and do so with confidence. I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to have any real setbacks or problems that are going to hinder him this week. Um, so Ryan and I talked in the first couple segments about OU's chances uh, down the stretch of the last six games, and ESPN's FPI puts them at a 90%, 88% chance or better that they're going to win each of their last six games and go 12-0. and What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think that if you look game by game, then I think that obviously makes sense. I mean, given what OU's put um, put on tape so far this year and, uh, you know, what they've shown, I think that, um, you know, the opponents that they have in the back half of the schedule, it, it would it would make sense for OU to, to beat each one of them. Now, coming off of a season where they lost seven games last year, it's hard to envision, you know, losing seven games to losing zero the next year. Um so, I mean, obviously, we've seen OU teams of the past. I mean, maybe a different regime, but still teams that maybe should have gone undefeated slip up against uh, teams that were not as good as them that season. Um, we'll see if a Brent Venables team makes that same mistake. I think that one of the main uh, the, one of the, the main slip-ups for them could maybe be in Provo if that's a night game. Uh, if BYU is a strong team, that those fans could be rowdy. They could make that a hard environment. But I think that... I think that if you go game by game and you just look at who's the better team, I do think that OU should win each of those games. And I do think that they've got a great chance to head into the Big 12 championship game uh, undefeated, which uh, would put them obviously firmly in the driver's seat for a college football playoff spot, which would be really unprecedented given uh, what we saw from that team last year. That's the immediate future. Uh, down the line, a few years down the road, we're talking about recruiting now. Um, Oklahoma and Brent Venables and his staff are building, building, building. They're laying an unbelievable foundation. Number five, four recruiting class in the country last year. Uh, and this year, so far, 2024, the team recruiting rankings are as follows. They added one. They got a uh, midweek uh, last week. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, last week they added one. We talked to him this week. And in the rivals recruiting rankings, OU is number five nationally. That's up one spot. In the 24-7 sports rankings, they're number five nationally. That's up two spots. And in the on three rankings, they're at number 10 nationally, which is down two spots. So they added a recruit and dropped two spots. Added a, a three-star offensive lineman. Daniel Akankumi and Randall, you and I had the chance right here on the computer, right here on the magic of the internet via <laughs> Zoom, by the with the help of the uh, NFL, 
yeah. through the NFL Academy to talk to Daniel Akinkumi last week. What an engaging, fun, uh, informative interview that was. Um, if you're Bill Biedenbo, how the heck are you recruiting somebody in England? This kid's a legitimate prospect. He's really good. Yeah, and, and I mean, he said that even Bill Biedenbo was kind of surprised by the uh, the mentality that he has when he met him. And I think that he was kind of taken aback by the mentality that Bill Biedenbo had also. Uh, I think that, that um, it, it kind of formed a perfect marriage between those two. I think that um, he, he being Daniel Akinkumi, is going to fit right in with what Bill Biedenbo likes. You know, from what he was telling us, this is a guy who loves to work. He loves to go hit people. He loves to be physical and, um, you know, work hard, which is all stuff that we've seen uh, Bill Biedenbo covet before in his prospects. So if that all, uh, you know, stays true, if that all comes to fruition, then I think that uh, obviously this is a guy who is not, it doesn't have as long of a background in football as some of the other offensive linemen that OU are recruiting. Um, and so, you know, once he gets here, once he gets high-level coaching from one of the best offensive line coaches in all the country, uh, with as athletic as he is, you know, he told us he's a former basketball player. Uh, I could definitely see him, you know, becoming a player that Bill Biedenboe really likes. Uh, I mean, he's 6'5", 300 pounds, uh, great work ethic. And just he – one thing that was really interesting was that he told us he – about a conversation he had with Miguel Chavis. And, I mean, you even got to ask Brent Venables about it yesterday in the press conference. And I think that that um, was really insightful on – uh, what this staff does so well, and it's building relationships. I loved his comment about, uh, I, I really enjoy hitting people. I love contact. When we go inside drill, everybody's like, oh, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I love that. He's ready to, uh, he, he enjoys the contact. Now, again, former basketball player, yeah. grew up in England, right? How much contact do you love? This kid loves contact. So, um, very, uh, very engaging personality. Uh, funny. He likes the Rams, which is cool. I don't know if you guys saw the video. We got it up at allsooners.com. Plus Randall's story is, a, is there as well. Yeah. We got to interview him all the way across the pond from jolly old England and, uh, NFL Academy. I mean, the, it's funny, Randall. I was watching, uh, I was watching, um, gosh, it, it was, uh, I w- it was Monday. Monday night and I was watching the NFL network in my hotel room in Norman and they had one of their analysts on and he, they asked him about the NFL Academy and they asked him about NFL Academy's teams coming to the United States and beating U S teams, including IMG Academy who was undefeated. This England all-star team comes to, to the U S and beats IMG. Daniel Akinkumi wasn't on that team, didn't play in that game, but that's, tells you right there the level of football that we're talking about this ain't your daddy's english football team you know what i mean i mean this kid can flat out play and he's i think he's going to be a star i think he's going to come in and uh eventually you know it takes longer for offensive linemen but i think he's going to come in and be a be a star i i agree and you know you mentioned it taking longer for offensive linemen again this is a guy who doesn't have the same depth of football background as some of the other guys that that are going to be coming into that offensive line class so it may take him an extra year, a few extra semesters. But he told us that he's coming in in January, which will get him, um, you know, incorporated in the team early. You know, we, from what we've seen, a lot of times the freshmen that make early impacts are the guys who come in in January. And so, um, you know, that's going to give him the opportunity to 
to develop quicker and earn playing time sooner rather than later. Yeah, if he doesn't get homesick, you know, being so far from home, uh, that's always in play. Um, offensive linemen have to be patient. They have to get in the weight room. They have to reshape their bodies. They have to put in hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work just to be able to physically play at that level. So, and then he's coming from a little bit behind. He's he's coming from that academy where they're just now laying the foundation for what college football players should look like. So he's a little bit behind, I think, just in general in terms of the complexities of the offense and blocking schemes. But dude is 6'5". He's got long arms. He's got big hands. And uh, he's got meat hooks. He's not supposed to hold with those meat hooks, but he's got big hands and long arms that's going to help him as a pass blocker. Uh, he's probably we're Randall. We're, we're thinking he's not the only one this week who's going to commit or within the last seven days, maybe I should phrase it. Uh, that's not, that's going to commit to Oklahoma. We hear there's another one coming. It might be, um, it might be a situation where OU lands. Um, trying to choose my words carefully here. A, Big safety, small linebacker from Kansas tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, um, Michael Voganowski is announcing his commitment. He's choosing between Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Florida State. Um, and again, you mentioned him being from Kansas, which I think kind of alludes to the Jayhawks and the Wildcats being in that top four. But I do think that um, as it sits right now, OU's got a really good shot to land uh, Boganowski. He was in Norman this summer for the Brent Venables camp. Uh, he wasn't actually participating in the camp, but he was on a visit and he got to hang out with a lot of the, the recruits that were there at the camp. Uh, some of the other recruits that were just on campus that same day. Um, and from everything we've heard, you know, he is a guy who really likes um, the staff here. He, again, relationships. They've done a great job building that relationship with him uh, throughout this, um, you know, the beginning of of his senior season, OU staff has stayed diligent and made sure to check in and made sure to reiterate that he's a guy that they want in that 2024 class. Um, you know, putting him next to a linebacker like James Nesta would be would be huge for for OU. Um, you know, obviously Brent Venables has a way with linebackers. We've seen that with the way he's developed Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanak so far in their careers. I mean, you could say the same about Kip Lewis, uh, and obviously going back further than just his time at OU now. And so Boganowski coming in with James Nest, I think that they would really like that linebacker class in 2024. So uh, Boganowski, 6'2", 205. Um, I think he projects as a linebacker in college, but he's being recruited as a safety or he's be, he plays safety. He's being recruited by Brandon Hall among the coaches that are, uh, that are recruiting him. So he kind of, he's kind of a tweener right now. 24-7 sports has him as a three-star the number four overall player in Kansas, uh, according to the composite, the 24-7 sports composite, he's a four-star and is the number one overall player in Kansas. So uh, number 445 nationally, according to 24-7 sports composite. So um, Kansas, Kansas State, and uh, who else did you say? Florida State? Yes. Okay, so I'm looking at his 24-7 profile, and he's got Stanford and Duke listed on there. So academically, you know he's there. Right. If you're if you're considering Stanford and Duke. But, uh, yeah, it looks like Oklahoma is a uh, I would say a strong favorite to land his um, to land his services. I, I, um, I would I would think that they're using a really good spot right now uh, as things stand. And like like you said, that'll all go down tomorrow. We'll have the story. We'll have his highlights up 
allsoonews.com whenever all that announces. So, uh, you know, be on the lookout whether, whether again, whether it is OU or not, we'll, we'll have, uh, we'll be prepared. We'll have a story up there tomorrow. We, we mentioned, uh, D- Daniel Akinkumi. Um, he's, we're hearing a lot of good things about Bill Biedenboe's recruiting. Yeah. Um, on the offensive line. And there may be the Sooners could be getting between what is what do we got October eighteenth so two months to uh, to signing day, the Sooners could really Bill Biedmo could really be getting some boosts is what we're hearing and one of them may be coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, the um, you know Eddie Pierre Louis, a guy who has um, you know released his top five recently. Um, it seems like you know there's been a flurry of predictions coming in. Um, you know, predicting him to commit to OU, um, a guy who at one point really was believed to favor UCF. Um, and so Bill Biedenboe going to get a guy from Tampa Catholic and, you know, prying him out of his hometown, it's pretty impressive, especially for a guy who um, who's rated as highly as, as Eddie Pierre-Louis is, uh, you know, if, depending on what service you look at. But um, on Rivals, I think he's the second-ranked interior offensive lineman in the whole country. Um, so that would be a huge boost, like you mentioned, for Bill Biedenboe in the 2024 class. Uh, if they do get a commitment from Pierre-Louis, that w- he would be the fifth offensive line pledge in 2024. So that would really be a good way to round out that um, that offensive line group. And then, again, like we have been for months, we're hearing good things about OU and Grant Bricks. Now, um, that we've heard good things about OU and Grant Bricks for months, and it seems like, um, you know, uh, we've been wondering, you know, when is a decision going to come? When is, you know, some sort of top uh, announcement going to come? And we still don't have that. But from from everything that we've heard and what it, it seems that uh, OU is still in the lead there. And and um, and again, maybe a commitment there uh, or a decision of some sort is uh, there is coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, if they get Pierre-Louis and Grant Bricks to add to the 24 class. I would think you're looking at a, uh, and, and I, there's not a ton of room left in this class. I don't know what the, what the actual head count is and, and who's going to actually sign. And of course, and who's not, um, I think no there's... reason to think anybody's not going to sign who's committed, but that would put Oklahoma. I would think getting those two dudes would put Oklahoma in the top three or, or at least in the top four in that range, uh, come signing day. Holy cow. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd have to think so. I mean, Pierre-Louis and Grant Bricks are two four-star offensive linemen, highly rated guys. Um, yeah, I mean, that, those would be huge additions for the 2024 class by Bill Biedenboe. And, I mean, if if OU were to get Bricks and Pierre-Louis, that'd be six offensive linemen for Biedenboe and I think six offense, or six wide receivers in the class for Emmett Jones. So, I mean, between those two guys, they're, you know, earning their checks. So, uh, UCF's coming to town this week. UCF means Central Florida. There's a quarterback from Florida who's also going to be visiting. Is there any reason to think that there's a tie there, that uh, UCF is coming and a quarterback from 2026 class is uh, coming as well? Well, I I do think that, um, you know, it is interesting because this is another kid from Tampa. So UCF being in Orlando is kind of the hometown team uh, there. But but I think, and, and so that is interesting for you to choose this week of all of all times to bring bring him to campus. But I think that um, Will Griffin from Tampa Jesuit, I think there's a good chance he does get offered uh, this weekend by OU. 
Um, I think that OU is starting to make those um, those decisions, identify those guys that they want in that 2026 QB class. Um, we saw we saw um, you know Mesquite Horns uh, quarterback earn an offer earlier this year, um, Legend Bay, who may not play quarterback at the next level, but again, uh, they're getting out, they're identifying these 2026 quarterbacks, skill position players that they like. Seems like Will Griffin uh, will likely get an offer this weekend. He's four-star quarterback, one of the top 50, 60 players in the country in the 2026 class, according to 2020, 24-7 sports. Uh, and I think that he's a guy that, that um, you know, Levy, Brent Venables, uh, they've recruited really well in the state of Florida before. Obviously, Levy, going back to UCF, has those connections in the Tampa, Orlando area. So um, I, I would not be surprised to see Will Griffin get an offer this weekend while he's on campus. Will Griffin. Keep an eye on the name Will Griffin. Good to know. Uh, another quarterback in the 2025 class. This is fascinating to me. This was so much fun. So interesting. Kevin Sperry's out there throwing the ball around for Carl Albert. He looks over on the sidelines. And who's there? None other than Dylan Gabriel. So you've got a quarterback who's basically finishing his college career, who is coming to – he's from Hawaii, played at Central Florida. Now he's at OU. And he's coming to Oklahoma City, basically, to watch a quarterback who transferred from the state of Texas into Carl Albert. There's no connection there other than in a few years, Kevin Sperry is going to be doing the same thing that Dylan Gabriel's doing. But wow, how cool is that, that Dylan Gabriel was coming out to Kevin Sperry's game? Yeah, I, I think that um, obviously it definitely, I mean, from, from the reporting we saw, it meant a lot to Kevin Sperry. That, that Dylan Gabriel would go there. And I think it just shows uh, the leadership that, that DG has. And it, and it also shows that, um, you know, the, the OU staff is doing a really good job of, of, you know, communicating with its current players, how important things like that are in, you know, the world of recruiting um, that, you know, even if it's not going to directly benefit um, Dylan Gabriel, it will, you know, it'll benefit the program. It'll help the, the, um, the brand going forward. And so, um, you know, to be able to communicate that with Dylan Gabriel and then to have the players like Dylan Gabriel, like Trace Ford, who are actually willing to go out and do that on the, on the bye week you know, the off week, uh, that I think that speaks volumes about where, um, the culture of the program's at. Yeah. Can you imagine the conversation? Um, Hey Dylan, uh, Jeff Levy, how's it going? Hey, listen, um, we got a, a kid playing. You've met him. It's Kevin Sperry from Carl mm-hmm. Albert. Could you do me a favor and just, roll out on Friday night and watch his game. Just make yourself seen. In a Titans um, hoodie. What's that? In a Carl Albert hoodie. In a, in a Carl Albert hoodie, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just the whole thing. And and not that it was fake. I'm not suggesting it was fake. I'm saying that, you know, it doesn't serve really anybody, but yet there's this connection. There's this, I'm an OU quarterback. I'm an OU quarterback. We're now connected. And we, I just, I just think that's super cool and good for him. Good for Dylan. Good for Sperry as well for acknowledging him on Twitter, <laughs> the leadership that Dylan Gabriel shows. Um, another one, a little bit less off the beaten path was um, Trace Ford going back to his alma mater to watch uh, Bergen Kaiser and those Santa Fe guys, uh, a couple others that are, uh, that are there. Um, I thought that was cool too. Trace Ford on his bye week goes back home and uh, hangs out with uh, some future Sooners. 
And, and, you know, that, again, that's really cool because, you know, for the OU fans, pretty cool because Trace Ford is a guy who didn't even, hasn't even been at OU for more than a year. This is a guy who was on the other side of that Bedlam rivalry just last year. So for him, you know, to go again, like you said, it is his alma mater, less off the beaten path, but still to go back during the bye week to, to see some of these guys that are OU pledges to talk to them. I'm sure that, um, Again, it goes a long way with the recruits, and it shows the where the culture of the program is at. You know, Bergen Kaiser, Isosa, things like that, and and Edmund Santa Fe has been one of the nice surprises in Oklahoma high school football this year. This has been a really solid team that um, some thought might not have a great year. Uh, they haven't had the most solid years in the past few, um, and this this year they've been able to really get back on track. Uh, they've had a good year, they've got a good squad of players, and um, and and two OU commits. You know, I've been doing this for covering OU football for 20 years now. And um, I can honestly say I haven't seen this level of generational connection. Um, you, you come across some older guys, right, that played in the 60s or the 70s, and they have a connection to some of the older guys who played in the 80s or the 90s, right? But this generational thing that's going on right now where Baker Mayfield in his sixth year in the NFL, I think, comes back and hangs on the sideline, goes to the Texas game, is the is the guest picker, uh, comes back for the spring game, comes back for Kyler Murray's statue unveiling. You know what I mean? There's this, uh, and it's not just Baker. There's other guys that are doing this too. Um, our first, I should say, Brent Venable's first spring game, our first of his to cover, there was uh, dozens of guys that, you know, are in the NFL right now, dozens who came back to support their alma mater for a spring game. And so, you know, now you're seeing it kind of bleed over into recruiting where Dylan Gabriel, you know, legally NCAA wise, he's got no business going to a high school football game, but there he is. And he's supporting a future sooner, or at least a kid who's committed to the Sooners. I just think that's, it's, I'm telling you, I've been doing this 20 years. What we're seeing this generational crossover and supporting guys from the current generation, the future generation, the past generation, it's, it's not happened before. It's not to, not to this level, not to this. And I know this, there's this whole thing about once a sooner, always sooner, blah, blah, blah. I get that. But just the, the physical, I'm going to spend $600 on a plane ticket and spend five hours in an airport. And I'm going to fly to Oklahoma and I'm going to see my old teammates and I'm going to see the current team that hasn't happened before. It has not happened before. Yeah, and, and I mean, you have to think that that's only going to continue to help the team in recruiting, especially recruiting local kids who, you know, might have grown up as OU fans, you know, to see some of the guys that they grew up watching, coming back, being around the team, uh, just to kind of see the the family environment that the team, you know, builds, provides. I think that that's going to go a long way. I mean, in the recruits that I've talked to, they always talk about the family environment. They always talk about how the coaching staff illustrates they care beyond just the football field, things like that. And um, I mean, I think that, that that's all an extension of what, you, what you're describing. Yeah, and OU's done a really good job. The administration has done a really good job with the Letterman's Association, getting former Letterman involved, making them feel welcome. It hasn't always been the case where they come back and they feel welcome. I mean, I've had many lettermen tell me, yeah, they, they didn't really do anything for us. They, once we were gone, they didn't really invite us back. That's changed. That's all different now. Yeah. So, hey, Randall, good stuff, man. As always, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Hoove.
All right. We'll see you on Saturday night after the game, maybe before, if you come up to the press box. Uh, I hear we're going to have some pretty interesting food up there, or could. So uh, if you get a chance, Randall, come up and get some uh, corn dogs, hopefully. Fingers uh, crossed. Unfortunately, not this Saturday. Okay. Next next time then. All right. Hey, listen, thanks, Randall, and uh, thanks, Ryan, and thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. And, of course, don't forget the All Sooners postgame podcast Saturday night after the UCF game, certified fresh from the press box. You can find those podcasts and all our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, it's easy. Just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. She'll hook you up. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are, pres- are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan, for Randall, I'm Hoover. See you guys.